Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podcasting is Praxis. It's a very special episode because we've got a very special guest on. Uh, it's friend of the pod, Dan. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, welcome. Thank you, thank you so much for joining. Uh, and also with me tonight are uh, this time pod stepdad, David. I'm not. I'm not answering to that. <laughs> uh, Jamie. All right. And James. Hello. And Alistair. Hello. You can always tell. You can always tell we've got a guest on because Rob's doing his newsreader voice. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't you aware I had one, but you didn't sound like that five minutes ago. Yeah, you, you, you're speaking in your proper diction, and you're making an effort to be very audible and understandable, and not your usual kind of self. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna... If you want, if you want, Rob, you can do like a Jordan Peterson impression, justice once to break yourself out of it. I don't mind. <laughs> I'll just break into that somewhere in the middle of the recording just to confuse everybody and, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Uh, anyway, so first, like, bit. Do you guys remember, it was, I think, last week by now, that a bunch of very cool and good people in Glasgow had stopped in immigration where? rate? Yeah, are we doing this thing again where I mispronounced Scottish City? <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 mean, did, I, I didn't catch you the first time. I would simply pronounce Glasgow correctly. <laughs> it do- we've been over this it, it doesn't have a castle therefore Rob has no reason to care about it exactly. therefore he doesn't, he doesn't know how to pronounce it he can pronounce Sterling he can pronounce Edinburgh um, but Glasgow is beyond him if it doesn't have a castle then where does David get the key crest to unlock his audio setup <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to do a callback to a pre-show joke love it um <laughs> Anyway, uh, if you remember, there was a series of, or at least they tried to do um, an immigration enforcement raid, but a very entire, essentially an entire neighborhood showed up and stopped them from uh, doing that, uh, which was cool and both cool and good. And mm-hmm. if you also remember in the last week, there was, um, you know, they stopped a whole bunch of Uber Eats and other like food delivery drivers in London to check for their immigration status. It was all plastered all over Twitter as like, look, we're really handling immigration. <laughs> yeah, stopping these fucking <laughs> Chairman Mao style bicycles from uh, going across various cities. Perfect way to stop, I don't know what, people getting their fucking McDonald's or whatever. Yeah, personally, yeah. I love when dinner's late because of the home office. <laughs> like, that, that really gets me on board with the fucking policies and strategies of the home office. Well done. Really I'm just, fucking. I'm just... I'm just picturing really looking capturing at my... the Jess Phillips vote. Well done, Neil. <laughs> I'm just picturing looking at my Just Eat app, and it says, "We're sorry, your order has been deported." Just <laughs> oh fuck! Oh God. Jesus! Um, yeah, anything. So anyway, there was there was all of that, but there was quite um, a good piece in uh, iNews written by uh, Mary Atkinson, who is part of the Joint Council for the Welfare on Immigrants. And would it surprise you to learn that you know, of course, these immigration raids are pointless because they don't actually do anything no. like one in 10 of these raids results in any kind of removal so nine of them are just like pointless shows of fashion. harassment i mean i don't know shows of terror and force are generally not pointless if you're an evil bastard yeah mm. oh i mean uh the whole reason why and this, like this has been uh, admitted by, if not Pretty Patel herself, then people in the like the civil service within the Home Office specifically, that the reason why uh, they contest these clearly unwinnable, you know, whenever they get challenged on uh, a deport, you know, trying to deport someone, 
uh, in the courts and they lose something like 50% if it ever does go to court or more than 50%. Um, the point is that they're making a show of, you know, a show of them contesting these cases that would, that are unwinnable because when you have, you know, a gnashing at the teeth right wing press that will, you know, mm. lap up stuff like the idea of lefty lawyers stopping yeah. people from, um, you know, it's the same. Bit, um, yeah. It's the same shit with benefits, where they go like, "Oh, like eighty percent of fucking uh, appeals are won when you like people yeah. have been denied benefits yeah. or whatever." And it, it's just for the sake of fucking like making people miserable in it. Yeah, the cruelty is the point. As yeah. we've gone yeah. over many times before. But I mean, I just didn't know some of those statistics, which I found the interesting bit. It's like apparently they do like dozens of these immigration raids every week, including up around forty a year on care homes, which I just found like repellent in all sorts of ways. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ, that's the, bad. The I, home, I didn't know about that. The Home Office harassing you from cradle to literal grave for yeah. the crime of being not necessarily from here. But I mean, you know, they're deporting hardened criminals, don't you know? Well, I mean, apparently one of the five... Two doors down from your gran. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, apparently one in five of the people they end up questioning as a result of these raids also turn out to be British. They just have UK passports, but, you know, they probably don't look British, if you'll forgive the, you know, quotation marks. Well, I mean, if we've learned anything over the course of the last uh, few years is that even if you do have a fucking passport, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. That's... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 weird it's weird what um the state is capable of when they decide actually we make all the fucking rules i think they realize that there's no people. accountability going on i mean no accountability in the press so they can literally do whatever yeah yeah exactly i was, I was gonna say wait until they start deporting people because their passports aren't blue enough <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and apparently, like, and of course, that's the other very British thing about all this is that most of these raids are based on public tip-offs. So, like, you can literally ring the immigration enforcement office. Oh, yes, we've got the Gestapo. We're literally doing it. Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, part of this is is like a legal obligation, a part of the uh, uh, hostile environment policy, if you remember that one, where, like, people like doctors and landlords and employers... If they have a suspicion you're in the country illegally, they are legally obliged to snitch you out to, to the immigration oh, office. Yeah. Well, any any employer is is obliged to. It's really quite grim. I was looking at employment rules recently just to get my head around all the statutory obligations. And sure enough, there's a statutory obligation to see the official documentation proving that a person you're hiring on is legal. Yeah, but like I mean, that's as, been added. As, as well established on this podcast, you should kiss your boss. So. <laughs> sake well there's the first edit Let's there's go the up. first cut what, what do you mean I, I i love kissing my boss directly on the mouth <laughs> yeah kiss, kissing your boss is something is cool and good and everybody should do it and a hang on if we man. say if if we say that does that mean david has to edit it the other way like if we say kiss your boss does it get edited <laughs> yes <too>? yes <laughs> this is going to be such an amazing edit <laughs> david will not be editing this episode <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, though. So anyway, I mean, it's just more home office shite, but especially because of the stuff in that particular city in Scotland um, and the, <laughs> the thing with the delivery drivers in London. I just thought, you know, like fuck these people. But it's it's one of these low, you know, slow burn things that just keeps happening across. Are we can. Are we yeah. gonna. Are we gonna start referring to Glasgow as the Scottish city? 
<laughs> well, no, we, I just no, want, we are fucking not. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to say on on the subject of Glasgow and the the wonderful people there. Um, shout out to the avowed anarchist who threw himself and his bike under that enforcement van the second he saw it to stop it moving and buy other people time to come round, and then stayed under that van for eight hours ah, to so, prevent it moving. So yes. now, yeah. so now we know why they were stopping all those um, Deliveroo drivers. Well, yes, but also, <laughs> and this is the real thing. Guy's a total legend because he released a public statement because there was obviously a lot of interest in him when people saw the pictures of him under the van. And he all he did with his public statement was ask for people to donate to anti-deportation groups and charities and the like. Um, there were people wanting to hand him pints, hand over fist, and he turned them all down and said, you know, just donate the money to stop him this stuff happening in the future. Absolute legend. Best Glasgow has to offer. Hats up to him. Don't get milkshake ducked, please. <laughs> yeah. Now that's that is uh, actually extremely extremely cool. Um, I I don't have a bridge for this, so I'm just going to skip straight into the second story because I can't bridge A and B in this one. Um, I don't know if you <laughs> guys. Chunk. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you may have noticed that this week there have been um, some more interesting shenanigans in the in the Bitcoin market. Essentially, they've like crashed through the floor. I think the averages indexes are about down about thirty percent which is essentially after the Chinese announced that they were cracking down hard on anybody owning Bitcoin, trading Bitcoin or having any, and especially with mining in China, because the Chinese government's had enough of that as well, which is yeah, cool and I, good. Yikes. I saw this and I've been laughing like a haunted drain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a corollary to the story, which makes it even funnier, apart from the fact that Elon Musk, for some reason, has said he doesn't want to take Tesla uh, Bitcoin anymore to pay for Teslas. So that's the oh, other reason. I have a wonderful well, story about that, too. Yeah, because he said they were going to take like Bitcoin and the, and the price of Bitcoin went way up. And then, like presumably, he sold all of his Bitcoin and said he wasn't accepting it anymore. And the price of Bitcoin went way down. Well, they bought a bunch of Bitcoin, as they, and they were taking um, Bitcoin for the cars, and they're still holding on to that Bitcoin after having said that they're not taking... No for longer the, accepting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's even funnier. Well, there's an even funnier footnote to it. Do you want to hear this one? Is, oh, it, yeah. is it about how they, they don't make cars because they're just a... Normal car company. Yes, kind of, <laughs> right? So, basically, some dude paid for a car from Tesla and Bitcoin, it wasn't forthcoming, but they didn't give him a car because they don't make cars, right? <laughs> um, so he, he sued and asked for a refund. So they gave him back the value of his Bitcoin in dollars when he initially paid. They didn't give him back Bitcoin. They gave him what he paid in dollar equivalent oh, that's in Bitcoin. Amazing. Oh, it gets better. He then sued and said, no, I want the return of the Bitcoin. And the court agreed <laughs> and Musk had to give him the actual Bitcoin. Back when it was still up. <laughs> Get, fucked. Get fucked, I believe is the term. <laughs> but as a result, like of all these these like the currencies, the different coins now plummeting, um, as you can understand, like a lot of people now want out. So that's part of why of course the price is plummeted. Um, but as it turns out, like a lot of the Bitcoin exchanges where you take your d bullshit digital oh, I've, paper. I've just I've just had a vision where someone makes like a, an official Eagles tie-in Hotel California Bitcoin, 
like cryptocurrency, <laughs> and you can put your money in, but it's not allowed to ever leave. <laughs> See, I was I was about to crack a joke about, and this is why we're launching the new Praxis coin right at the when the market's hot. But there actually is a Praxis coin. They just got it. <laughs> yeah, and it's called the Patreon. Buy now. <laughs> <laughs> There is a no serious. There's a Praxis coin. It's on Twitter as at Praxis coin, and it's got ninety six. At <laughs> Praxis coin, come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be I'd be down for a crazy libertarian episode because we've got to be right, surely. There's oh, I mean, there's a Marx coin as well. Oh, uh, of course. Um, anyway, but what's like what's happening is like a lot of people have tried to sell, and obviously, um, there's two problems. For one. The selling transfers a whole bunch of code and a lot of exchanges aren't set up for that much code transfer at the same time. So a bunch of them have crashed, leading to the fact that nobody can sell. And others have not been able to actually like reimburse you in dollars or pounds or euros or Swiss francs, if you like, um, because they just simply don't have the capital backup. And apparently the thing that was... Weird I mean, that you bring up the Swiss francs there, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, that... The thing that was sort of making the whole thing run is uh, uh, like a backup Bitcoin, which is called a stable coin, which I hadn't heard of before, but is apparently a thing. Oh, oh yeah, oh, like my... Tether, for example. Yes, and that's the Tether is specifically the thing I want to talk about because it's fucking hilarious. I, I, just, I do just want to say it is incredible how somehow they've managed to make it so that Bitcoin is the least stupid name that any of these fucking coins have been called. <laughs> Tether, like, I'll give credit where credit is due. Tether is the only other one without a dumb name because it does what it says on the tin. It does, it does what it's it says a- on the tin. So the idea is, like, if you want to uh, uh, sort of protect the value of your, your asset and not, like, watch the Bitcoin, you know, plummet and, and rise thousands of dollars in value every day, you back it up uh, with, with stablecoin, and, and in, in this case, Tether, the best one hey, of these. Hey, do, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, right. Isn't this supposed to be the libertarian dream currency? Yes. Do you spot the problem? Is it now? Is it now tied to the value of a fiat currency? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> how, how how dare you assault them with the truth like that, David? <laughs> but it gets it gets even better. So, like, what you do is like um, you you sell off your Bitcoin, uh, or you take, and then you buy Tether, and then Tether, the company, has promised that for every <laughs> Tether coin that they put out in the world, it's it backed up by cold hard cash. So there's always like you can always escape the Bitcoin realm and get your sorry. real money Rob, out. Sorry, but why not just, Rob, why did not I, just have ha- the cash? Hang on, sorry. I'm sure, Rob. Did I just hear a massive fucking asterisk in that sentence? Yes. You just said that? <laughs> so the biggest one of these is stablecoin is Tether. It's regist- It's a company registered home- in Hong Kong with a bank account in the Bahamas, and they really haven't been that that transparent a- about how many actual dollars, like cash on hand they have to do all these exchanges especially right now when the price is plummeting and people actually like are going to tether and say i want my money out do you reckon it's because they've invested everything in uh, fabergé eggs no um they they already like they had a problem already um in the last two years oh, and oh they just were one <laughs> many but they were forced by the i think the new york attorney general's office that they had to mm-hmm. give monthly reports on like how much currency was uh, how much tether coin was out there versus the actual currency and bills they had and last month but this is the first time they actually had to show these accounts and it turned out that only just under four percent was held in like cash or treasuries or something you can readily convert more than 75 percent of it was in what they called commercial paper which is anything and everything it's just dead instruments 
but they haven't specified what's in there. So like it could be the case that the thing underlying the Bitcoin balloon is a tether coin, which is supposed to be have real dollars under it. But nobody really knows whether or not this company with accounts in the Bahamas can actually pay out the 60 billion worth of tether coin that is currently acting as a critical stabilizer for the entire global so so what you're telling me is so what you're telling me is if someone ever observes a physical bitcoin this whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down it very well might be it's kind of like in the big short um which is a great film and everyone should watch it where everything falls apart when someone starts looking at the actual mortgage-backed securities and looking at the actual mortgages that comprise those mortgage-backed securities. Yes. It's basically the same thing, except it's again, to just to clarify what Rob said there, because I am familiar with this, um, about three quarters of Tether is actually backed by money, asterisk. By money, they mean there is some cash on hand, asterisk, Actually, only 4% of that 75, 74% is actual money, and the remainder is pieces of paper, asterisk. But what's actually on those pieces of paper? Could it be Nobody knows. derivatives or mortgage-backed securities? <laughs> yeah. Or, like, yeah, if my, you're beginning to think, hang on, isn't this just the big shot at a remove? You're not my, my, wrong. my favorite bit of this, by the way, is like when they had to show the portfolio that was actually underlying these tether coins. What are you um, doing with all this that? money in this deli place? Is <laughs> 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 uh, that one percent of like their what they call their cash on hand basis was cryptocurrency? So it was cryptocurrency <laughs> based, uh, secured by tether currency secured by cryptocurrency <laughs> and that <laughs> it's t- it's turtles yes. all the way down that's, that's all it is <laughs> yes. oh. <laughs> and i mean of course my, my favorite thing is david you said it at the beginning is of course now it turns out that if you need a stable coin a tether to be efficient and have like a functioning bitcoin market what you're essentially doing is tying bitcoin to a fiat currency which was the whole thing why we got Bitcoin in the first place, because those are supposed to be scary and non-libertarian or something. Was, so was it though, or was the real reason we got Bitcoin in the first place because everyone loves pyramid schemes? That and drugs. That. Paying for drugs. I, yeah, I, I'm genuinely like, I've got to give credit credits to you. We've had them on the podcast before, but the, well, there's your problem, people. They've described it in one of their podcasts with slides as being essentially driven by energy prices. And it's basically the, the value of, of the coin directly translates to the energy being burnt to secure the coin. And that's that's the actual real abstraction that goes on now. And I think there's a bit of credibility to that, to be mm, honest. Yeah, I think yeah, there's, I think there's something there's, there's to there's that. Something I, I think that's probably where the, the price for actually sits, uh, to be totally honest, for this. But uh, what you're saying is I can create wealth if I just go and directly napalm the Amazon. Basically. Yes. Uh, well, Jamie, yes. me and you were talking about the other day about that fucking currency that was based on um, available hard drive space. So I love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, oh, fuck. What kind hell, of coward hasn't got full drives? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Um, oh, fuck. I can't think of. Chia. Chia. Yeah, that was it. Chia coin. It's um, it, instead of like proof of work or whatever bitcoin uses it uses proof of storage um and it's basically it's fucking the uh the global market for hard drives yeah it's it's incredible because in with with these typical cryptocurrencies you've got the abstraction of 
essentially what does a kilowatt hour cost but with this fucking chia coin you've got what is the cost of a of a megabyte you know it's so that so that then is in effect a measure of worth based on bitcoin futures (laughs) not not quite but of the potential to store bitcoins there you go it's it's just like inverse Right, so like genuinely, I'll take like a minute on this. Apologies, Rob, but essentially, all of these coins have a problem, which is who fundamentally controls them. Nonces. And all they try. Well, yes, but which particular <laughs> nonces control them is the thing. Um, and so they they've been trying forever to come up with a measure that basically doesn't allow someone to just flood the market and buy it up essentially and thus own it all, right? Because if you do that, if you have that structure, then basically the rich people who already exist in society will own it, and then you're just reproducing the current status hierarchy. And the whole point of these things is to just <laughs> disrupt the status hierarchy and allow you to become the hierarchy owner, right? That's <laughs> that's the appeal of Bitcoin. And so they came up with proof of work, which is basically who control the most computing power at the problem. And they've you know, come up with other ones like proof of storage, like this particularly stupid one. Um, there's proof of time, which is a really complicated one. I can't even begin to fucking explain because it's <laughs> mental and made well, up. Uh, imagine and- four balls on the edge of a cliff. Kind of, right? Really, <laughs> genuinely, Johnny Coin is real. Um, but fundamentally, like, you know, they all, all run into the same problem, which is that if you do anything other than notional ownership, then it's got to be backed by some kind of measurable physical quantity, which means you drive up the cost of something. If it's processing power, you're driving up the cost of graphics cards and, and energy burnt on the actual calculations. If it's storage, then you drive up the cost of like physical purchasing of storage. And the and, major the major thing there is cloud computing. Yeah, exactly, right? It's So fundamentally, they're all basically going, look, how can we create a currency which we can become owners in, but the current rich people can't automatically become owners in? And the answer is, you can't really, and so they're having to fall back and tether it to fiat currency, which is already owned by the rich people. It's so great. And, and like, it. I love setting out to create an entire brave new world of like economics, but just accidentally reproduce the entire system that we had beforehand. Well, but that's the thing, though. I mean, they're basically the doom libertarian thing, which is that libertarians don't actually want freedom. They want to be the ones on top of the pyramid, right? They want freedom to make their own pyramid, basically. And that's yeah. what Bitcoin and the equivalents are. They're a bunch of people making their own version of pyramids and trying to claim they're not pyramid schemes. And yeah, I mean, where did that lead you? Back to fiat currency and the existing power structures of the world. All right. Well, speaking of people who are somewhat more on the bottom of the pyramid rather than at the top, there was a piece out, uh, I think, yesterday on Channel 4 News by Kathy Newman and Patrick Borrell that the UK was going to send 1.6 million surplus PPE units, so masks and stuff, to India because of the vaccination rates going much better than expected. But this was delayed because there was an argument with the Treasury um, whether or not sending aid and sending medical gear would count towards the um, international aid total spending in the UK. And apparently because of the new rules and Rishi Sunak, the the aid that the UK is pledged to give, which is to give or take uh, 800 million uh, quid of global corona aid, will count as aid and therefore cause massive cuts elsewhere in the UK's international aid spending because this is not extra. This comes out of the same jar. So... You know, <laughs> oops, we did it. We did it again. We just uh, also, totally fucked everything up and 
for what gain other yeah. than like tabloid especially headlines. because like I, I may i may be inferring a bit but by the time like the treasury and the foreign office had sorted out like whose budget it falls under um a lot of the ppe had gone out of date so even if we wanted to send it to india we couldn't be sending it anyway because it, it you know its efficiency had expired um this is not the only thing that's going to be a casualty of this because the Tories have already cut the foreign aid budget from 0.7% to 0.5, which is, you know, that's a pretty big chunk of money that's gone missing. Another one of them that was going to be funded, but is no longer is, is uh, 48 million quid in global healthcare funding that was helping to train almost 80,000 healthcare workers, you know, in some of the poorest countries in the world, like Myanmar, where COVID is completely out of control and they have systemic healthcare issues. So that's being cut. Another one that's been cut is a team at Oxford University, which got 20 million to, and they've been helping particularly India and Brazil identify and map different COVID strains to get the vaccines in better shape. So that's now going to be cut as well. So, you know, it's like what we're doing is, <laughs> you know, it's so fucking Tory and it's so fucking Numbers like, Fuckstein uh, kills again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not even Numbers Fuckstein, right? Numbers Fuckstein comes to it from a genuine position of, I just really wanted to tweak the GNI coefficient and see what happens, kind of, you know, there's intellectual curiosity there. But with the Tories, it's more like (laughs) that Mitchell and Webb sketch where it's, have you tried killing all the poor? Like, that is their approach to this, except it's been done in an international kind of, you know, um, fucking racist eugenicist kind of approach to it. Uh, Well, twas ever thus. But I mean, like just the knock-on effects, like these sort of secondary effects of, okay, you know, who gets to count the aid and how much is it worth? And, you know, how do we, how do we fuck people out of it? It's just, you know, it's extraordinary. Like in the middle of a pandemic as well, it's like the most important thing is to get the whole fucking planet vaccinated up. So, you know, I mean, I know, James, you've talked about it particularly on the podcast, so we don't get some mutant strain out there in, in, in the oh, plague man. lands that, that will come back to the UK and, and then wipe out our, our, our current vaccination program. So I mean it's, it's like implying the genu- UK isn't the plague lands. Yeah. Different it's like plague genuine, lands. Genuinely it's like it's like that microcosm of you know how like supermarkets how they always end up with lots of leftover food and they'd rather spoil it and cover it in bleach grapes of wrath mm. style. <laughs> And allow it to be distributed to the hungry because if you just start giving it away then you know you you break the whole incentive it's yeah. that same logic except it's stupidly applying to global health in a pandemic because from their perspective their stupid idiotic moronic just i i run out of words sooner rather than later um their perspective is that well if india gets utterly fucked by coronavirus then that puts the UK at a relative advantage, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean... That, that, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it, it absolutely extremely, doesn't. Uh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but, like, you, yeah, it's just this extremely narrow view of, which is, you know, indicative of, you know, the government that we've got, is just, you know, recreating the entire entirety of, like, modern history, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's on. like it's it, it's all. I would rather have a bigger slice of a shrinking pie mm. than take a current slice of a pie which like grows or stays the same size. You know, yeah. it's all it's all that that that's a fundamental motive, right? Because they they never they consistently never look two steps ahead to go. But what about when this boomerangs back and hurts us? 
they, they only care about, well, does this increase or decrease the slice of the pie I'm holding relative to all the other pie slice holders? And it doesn't yeah. matter what the total pie size is. And that's it. That, that's just their approach to every economic issue is, it's, yes, but who's on top? Yeah, and it, it's the usual kind of extremely short-sighted bullshit because, like, if, if I can put a geopolitics hat on for a moment like a prick, um, every single crisis and thing that the the west exacerbates and you know makes worse and just on a long fucking list of times where it's already done that why aren't they just going to start looking elsewhere like why are countries outside of the immediate sphere of the west going to start well not going to start going towards china someone who you know a nation that actually does have the resources and ability to kind of step in and protect and maybe I mean, not do the same fucking crimes, maybe? I mean, if you if you believe Yanis Varoufakis, and I hope I said his name, I think I might have just done a Robville. Like, um, <laughs> hey, yeah, I could pronounce his <laughs> name just fine. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, pronounce it for me then, Mr. Glasgow. <laughs> anyway, Varoufakis point is, is fine, but don't worry. <laughs> okay, if you, if you believe him, that man, that person, that Greek guy, former finance minister. Um, yeah, if you believe Mr. Scottish sit, yes. <laughs> then, essentially, that's what China has been doing because he came into office as the Greek finance minister and he looked at some port contracts that he signed with China, um, or rather, his predecessor had signed with China, and he went, "No, these are ridiculous." So he calls in the, Ch- the you know Chinese ambassador, etc., and he's all ready to do battle to basically fight and go. We're not accepting these contracts. These are bullshit. And he lays his case out as to why they're complete bullshit to Chinese ambassador, and he's getting ready for a big salvo. And the Chinese ambassador just goes, "Oh, no, you make a good point. Okay, what would be fair?" And you know, he just kind of stares at him and goes, um, "Well, how about this?" And just proposes a fair deal. And Chinese ambassador goes, "Yeah, okay." Oh, this and that was sounds it. like sounds like well, a man who's extremely accustomed to dealing with the European Union and the West, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah, but um, like like his approach was that basically, you know. The West is so fucking awful that China just needs to be average when yeah. it comes to dealing with people, and they yeah, look doesn't very, even, yeah. very good in comparison. A- any competitor does not need to be fucking incredible at this point. Like yeah. it just has to be better than us, and that's not a high bar. Yeah, and and let's be fair, like for to the Chinese ambassador, I don't blame the Chinese ambassador. Just absolutely fucking, just immediately going. Do you know what? No, fair enough, because that is the man who killed Pasok. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you know what I mean? It, like to be better than better than the West. Like if a, if a significant number of crabs walked out of the fucking ocean and offered me to come and live with them, I'd be tempted. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> How how many significant? Ah, uh, a couple do, of do dozen. And I'm just picturing the sound of a crab rave approaching down the street toward <laughs> Jamie's house <laughs> to crown their prince and take him beneath the waves. No, ja- no, Jamie is like obviously truly beholden to the seagulls. That's true. Well, we we are all now beholden to seagulls because they are just just better than us, which kind of leads us in a very roundabout way uh, to say two things. For one, President Xi, come save us because we are very sad and we need uh, help. Uh, Is that that what we're saying? Liberators. (laughs) Is that the line? And in the uh, yeah, but other way, in another roundabout way, uh, speaking of seagulls, it's the reason, not the reason we brought Dan on, but we want, I wanted to bring Dan on today because I want to talk about is Dan some other a seagull. Uh, <laughs> I don't have seagulls. 
Uh, now, it's a bit, because I wanted to talk a bit today, a little bit about rewilding and some tree planting. I thought we talked about fish. I thought let's talk a bit about uh, nature and that kind of thing uh, on land. And Dan, like you've Hang been on. working so, a bit on a. Wait, wait. Wait a second, Rob. Is the bridge here seagulls or nature? Yes. Is, is that what the bridge yes. is here? I mean, I mean, cool. I, mean Just to get James, I mean, James, we've had flimsier pretexts of changing topic. It works. It works fine. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, I, I wanted to sort of let you, uh, sort of, like, I know you've been working on a farm near yours to sort of do a rewilding project. So I think maybe I'll let you talk about that a little bit and like what rewilding is and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been working for five years properly and maybe about 10 or 12 years otherwise on a bit of land my father-in-law picked up before the land prices went totally crazy. And mainly with rewilding and tree planting, I just want to make main point of planting trees on its own is not rewilding. And that can then lead to things like greenwashing, which I've seen myself where a council put down a thousand trees because they took away a hundred trees somewhere else, but they're not just taking that hundred trees. It's a whole ecosystem you, to remove. Dan, are you saying that the flagship policy of most wings of government when it comes to ecology is just bullshit and the bare minimum? I'd like to it's state cool. that it's absolute shite and it's yes. greenwashing largely. Um, it doesn't. A case work. of a case of quite literally not being able to see the wood for the trees. Hey, uh, <laughs> that was pretty. <laughs> so yeah, damn I'd just bad. be thinking shocking. <laughs> every time you say greenwashing, I just think what? What I do in the shower every morning? <laughs> if it's green, go to the doctor. <laughs> I mean, I can't say shit. I did actually go to the doctor today for antibiotics. So yeah, sure. Let's go. Anyway, but back to like, so what have you been doing on your father-in-law's um, plot of land or how sh- maybe, I don't know what to call it, farm bit of land? Yeah, I, I get stuck on that. I usually call it a farm. It used to be the fields because it used to be fields, but now it's not. It's hard to tell. Um, A lot of what I've been doing the last year or so has been making hedgerow, which is a type of habitat which has been wiped out in the last 100, 200 years or so. Largely, that just involves deciding where it goes, sticking branches down, planting trees, saplings, bushes in around that, and letting time take its course. Hedgerows are really like an interesting example of what sort of happened to the UK environment, especially in the last couple of decades. Um, I know that uh, for a while under this was then um, UK, it was farm policy European as well as UK that like they saw that hedgerows is like a a place where bugs and disease and like unwanted Mm -hmm. things lived. So farms would get subsidies to like just wipe them out and put in metal fencing because that was just neat and didn't require anything. There was an even weirder period. I think that was only in Ireland for a while where farmers could get a subsidy from the EU, I think, to rip up hedgerows and like replace them with neat fencing and then get a different subsidy from the Irish government to plant them because they wanted to do environment goals. So like there were farmers who were just like (laughs) ripping up or replanting the same hedgerows over and over again. That really doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, a friend of mine worked on a rewilding scheme on 
the wonderful island of Ireland, 32 counties. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and what he did was about 10 years ago was similar to what I do now. It was old farmland and he planted trees and he thought he was doing a great thing. All he was planting, though, was something called Sitka spruce. And that creates a monoculture where you only get Sitka spruce. And pretty much nothing in Ireland can live in Sitka spruce. And now it's a wasteland. These are sort of the things like if you've ever been for a walk in the countryside, these are, if I have it correct, there's these really dense stands, right, of, of spruce that are really quite narrow together, super dark in the undergrowth. There's no grass underneath it. It's that kind, right, if I have it correct? Yeah, and where spruce should be, where it is normally, the bugs are used to it, the birds are used to it, the mammals are used to it, and they can live around it and get by. But when you just come in to a system which isn't used to it and dump it all in, it creates a hell ground. What's more rewilding to you? Like, how do you, how do you see it? Well, the easiest way and the best way is just largely to let nature do the job and then you help out where nature then struggles. Uh, the five acres that I run, uh, when it was left, because luckily with uh, Google Earth, I can go back to about 1997 and see it as it used to be, back when it was a bit of a farm. And it was just two fields surrounded by hedgerow. And over the years, when it got left alone, it just got overgrown by mainly bramble, by oak, by poplar trees. And the problem with that is you don't get a monoculture, but it gets a bit boring and largely then it will just turn to woodland. Uh, the land around me is just woodland. There isn't any meadow, there isn't any wetland. So I see it as my job to kind of provide that meadow and a bit of wetland. And can I, can I just out of curiosity, because one of the other big things about rewilding, at least that like if you read uh, people like John, George Monbiot and stuff, is that... They think that's important to like reintroduce certain like terrain altering species. So have you released any beavers, lynxes, wolves or bears in your plot yet? I have requested bears on multiple occasions. However, <laughs> my letters to the government have gone unanswered. Yeah, I, I would absolutely love to see bears back on the loop. I mean, it would, it would really keep people on their toes. <laughs> I mean, finally, finally, nature could stick up for itself in this fucking country, because if there's nothing more that uh, we love to do is to mess around with shit without any sort of opposition. This is a real thing that's happening a lot in, in Europe uh, and in other places where there's like there's more room than than on uh, Dan's uh, plot of land that like they do want to reintroduce species like wolves or let bears make a comeback, lynxes as well, because essentially what they do is they regulate the other species so uh for for the uk in particular uh deer would be a relevant species and like the so the general theory is, is like if you have an apex predator that is not people the like deer are getting rowdy and leaving lager cans everywhere you just like send a bunch of fucking bears to kick the <laughs> shit out of them is that yeah the <laughs> i mean one one natural example of um a successful if not reintroduction then like an I, explosion i'm really disappointed you weren't you i thought you were about to give an example of bears kicking the shit out of some like <laughs> lagered up deers <laughs> unfortunately unfortunately purely, left... purely misunderstood it's actually the wolves that take care of the deers it's the bears that take care of the fishermen <laughs> No, I joke about bears, but there have been schemes near where I live where uh, pine martens have been released to control grey squirrel. 
but I'll, I'm yeah. not sure how well it's going because it's only been a few years. I was going to say another, um, like what I was, what I was going to say before, <laughs> before Jamie cut me off was that um, uh, red kites are uh, one of the species in the UK, or at least uh, in the south of England, that have seen a massive growth in uh, population, at least compared to when I was younger. That's for sure. Oh, they um, they reintroduced those around here. Like uh, it was like a huge thing. To, I think even like the the local buses now, the local bus route is, is like named the red kite route because you can actually you can see them. You can you can see them now. Whereas like when I was a kid, they were just all but extinct. So how much like if you were to say for purposes of controlling squirrel populations, if you were to release a Swinson, how much of an impact <laughs> would that have on the real wilding effort? Well, you've got to look at the numbers actually killed, and you've got to look at the number of squirrels demoralised and terrified, too scared to leave the trees. Uh, <laughs> we need to start... How does that look on a bar graph? <laughs> we need to start a campaign of terror against the squirrels, that's what we're saying. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing the bar graph, but it says, not squirreling here. <laughs> No, but the, so the, the the general like the, the the big picture point of trying to do rewilding is um, like the, the theory uh, is is revolves what they call the the three C's, which is cores, corridors, and carnivores. And the idea is that you have sort of core areas where the wild is completely left to to do its thing. Uh, mm. So like dance portal land, and then there are corridors where a wolf or a bear or a beaver or some others, a red kite can like travel safely to another call. Um, and then sort of, I think, I think the kites have the, uh, I think kites have the easiest job out of all of those to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you'd think so, but if you, uh, I don't know if you, if you know, I bet you, I bet you there's plenty of like fucking rich pricks with like a a fucking manor of state who have like anti-aircraft guns just specifically to kill birds. I mean, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, you you joke, Jamie, but that is basically the reason why um, red kites were like such low numbers, because they would kill things like fucking the stupidest animal on earth, the pheasant. Um, The grouse, particularly. And grouse, yeah. Yeah, so this is like, that's one of the reasons, I mean, the the famous case in, in the UK at the moment are hen harriers, which are sort of the, the, the birds of prey as well, but they specifically like going after grouse and they're a protected species, but on the, the grouse estates, the shooting estates, where they release a lot of grouse, mm. um, there are repeated instances, let me put it that way, where the nests are burned or the birds are poisoned or they get shot by the gamekeepers because the incentive is not to have good biodiversity or because, like the like, wild Because rich cunts need to shoot things, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. Happens all the time in Scotland, by the way, taking out protect- protected species just for the sake of the fucking grouse moors and all that kind of shit. Just total garbage. It's been yeah. a repeated issue in the Scottish Parliament and the SNP will do nothing about it. Yeah. Have they considered just building a main road next to the grouse moors because that will take care of 90% of the grouse population? They are the dumbest fucking birds on the planet. Yep. I have been in a car that hit, I shit you not, four different Grouse, grease, yes. whatever the plural is, grouses, um, f- hit four different birds. <laughs> four different in one Greeks. journey. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Yanis! They, they were <laughs> <laughs> like this. <laughs> but yeah, no, like four different ones, one drive, just absolutely crazy, just very depra- profoundly stupid birds. One of them, one of them, we hit a bird, stopped. Looked at a bird went, oh, that's pretty bad. Started back up, and I shit you not, five, min- li- uh, five meters later, thump, another one. 
which meant that it sat there, watched us hit the first one as it flew out into the road, and then went, well, I guess I'll do that then. Maybe they're just fucking depressed. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if your job was to be shot at by, like, fucking toffs, do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd play with oh, the traffic, so you, like. You think they're just, like, going out on their own terms? Yeah, is that I'd just be like, oh, fuck this, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> We need to train them to get their own back. <laughs> yeah. So, like Dan, since you've started your like the work on on your plot of land, have you seen the difference now? Like in the five years you've been working on it, like has have species come back? Is it a bit more imbalanced? Like what's you know what's yeah, it I mean, been like? I've noticed the difference, but I think that anyone going into nature that being more often over a few years will just notice more anyway. But I've had people from uh, Essex Woodland Trust come by. And on an unofficial basis, because they were monitoring the land next to mine, they'd say, yeah, we are seeing an uptick in various things, uh, mainly songbirds and the number of buzzards. When we were talking about birds of prey a little while ago, the buzzard numbers have been great. This is something that, like, you can you can do pretty much at a lot of at a lot of scales. Uh, this sort of this rewilding. It doesn't always have to be. Uh, big and especially when you're you're talking about the UK, one of the big problems it has when you're talking specifically about things like bears and wolves is they need, like bears and wolves need a lot of room. They don't stay in one area. They do essentially giant loops, uh, which is why something like Yellowstone is works very well for wolves because they can do the loops inside the boundaries of the park. Whereas obviously, if you can imagine that if you were to release wolves, even in yeah, I read that one of the proposed areas for a wolf release would be around the Pennines. So they had the national parks. Civilised, is that the word you're looking for? <laughs> it is, yes, yes, that is exactly the word we're looking for, yes. Mm. And good, bring them on, bring bring the wolves. I would love to on see the, the wolves cutting about Edinburgh. Yeah, wolves, come on, Praxis cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should be very clear, like, the, the, the number of bear, uh, uh, bear and wolf attacks that, like, kill anybody is essentially a myth. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Like... You have to, you know, literally walk up to a, a black or a brown bear and hit it on the snout and then, like, taunt it for a while before it will, it will, it'll go for you. Wolves are even more so. Like, wolves will just run away from you. This is just yeah, one of these myths say, that, like... Wolves, like, wolves basically see a person and think they're not worth the hassle. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't fucking bother with a say either, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> But it is one of these things that like gets brought up when when people say, "Oh, we want to reintroduce this or that." They say, "Oh, but you know, what about um, my granddaughter who all, always comes to visit uh, with a little picnic basket?" And then you know, well, she gets yeah. a wolf. <laughs> well, she might wolves survive, for all but the, the granny concerned. isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, the kid, the she just needs to be faster than the gran, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but you I see, mean, Scotland's. Like, if if you if your grandmother gets replaced by a big wolf, then the average level of racism in the country probably goes down. That's wolves have not pro- yet proven to be racist, so that does hold up. I regret to inform you that the wolves are racist. <laughs> oh. I mean, British wolves probably fucking would be. Let's be honest. Like. And what's inter- what I always find interesting when I I did a bunch of hiking in the UK as well is like. When you go up in, in especially in the in the uplands, uh, the Lake District's a great example, but also like the Pennines, Dartmoor, Exmoor, those kinds of places. A lot of people see them as like areas of great nature and beauty, but like George Monbiot talks about it a lot. But they are essentially like just completely devastated areas because what we do there is just like let the sheep go fucking wild and eat everything in sight. Like they're just sheep grazing zones. They're essentially very biodiversity poor. 
So one of the things that like keeps being proposed and being shot down is to say like, look, why don't we get the sheep off the hills? Because there's not like there's not real money in that anyway. Um, and then we let the the Lake District rewild. But if you were to let it rewild, it would grow forest on it again, and then it would no longer fit the postcard image. So you have this really weird thing where like a lot of people think that that's a real zone of beautiful nature whereas like if you look at it from a species perspective there's just nothing there and it's just kind of a dead mm. zone yeah and changing scales a lot just driving around today every single lawn that i see where it is just a lawn and a patch of grass and nothing else is another little dead zone and if you're listening i encourage you to plant things yeah or just let your grass like grow tall and then yellow and fall over. Like yeah. that is already much yeah, better for like mice. And... I, I genuinely for a long time have thought that, you know how like the embankments alongside roads and all that kind of shit. And I know, right, it's right next to a road, so it's not only really the best in the world in terms of air quality and various other problems. Like I've genuinely thought, couldn't they just, couldn't they just wild the embankments? Yeah, you can. Like, plant wildflowers. It was really nice. Yeah, it was really nice during the start of COVID when no cunt was cutting the grass. And it yeah. actually yes. looked better. Yeah, but yes, the problem the problem with doing that sort of thing is that like fucking like English people are complaining that it looks untidy. Like and it's the same thing with like with people should let the lawns just like grow wild, but um like for a lot of people that's probably not an option. Like I know if we don't keep our lawn like fucking tidy, we get letters from the fucking housing association and like threatened with eviction and shit. It's crazy. It's fucking stupid like for 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 countries that romanticise Hobbit-esque living in Hobbiton sort of stuff, like, the actual reality of what that might look like always fucking repulses them like a crucifix to a vampire every <laughs> single time. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, if we were all Hobbit-sized, the wolves may actually have more of a point to get us, so that would create a new balance, I think, in general. Man, if we were all Hobbit-sized, we could, like, fucking ride the wolves, so, I don't know, you, That's you true. win some, you lose some. Do we get swords? Is this important? <laughs> I mean, who's gonna who's gonna stop us if we want swords? That's the okay. Question. So right, it's uh, it's forty six for stats. We'll start with strength and go down to charisma. <laughs> I think it's all well and good wanting to return the country to the the aesthetics of the third age, but like realistically, <laughs> I think we should go further and take it back to something kind of more Permian and just <laughs> just put it all underwater, all of it, and just rewild yeah. it that way. I mean, just to be Cut. sure, let's go back to the you know great planetary bombardment stage. Really clear yes. things up. Yes, definitely. How about, yeah. how about we how about we meet halfway and just create Greater Doggerland again? Reconnect with Europe that way. Drive all the English mad. Oh I'm no! I'm fine with I'm fine with reconnecting with Doggerland, but only if we go down to meet it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're starting. Oh. We're starting the plesiosaur party to. Rewilding to sink the UK beneath the wave and rewilding the giant toothpaste um, animals. I'm gonna start. I'm start. I'm gonna start the Greater Pangaea Independent Party. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're looking for a political con consultant, I can say my rates are very reasonable. <laughs> well, I will be expensing all the scuba tanks required. <laughs> but but yeah, I, Dan, I did want to uh, briefly go back to the thing you were saying about tree planting because one of the new things that I think was it two weeks ago that was announced that um, Boris Johnson also wanted to plant, I don't know, how many millions of trees a year, you know, even though under Corbyn it was said that that was a thing that could never happen. And like, Yeah, I, I mean, it's you... impossible. It's impossible to plant trees. That's what we learned in the 2019 election. So it's As incredible that 
There were so many million trees going to be planted and Jeremy Corbyn was personally going to have to do all of them. And to do this, he would have had to plant as many trees a minute as Jess Phillips knocks on doors. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember right, the Corbyn scheme, it worked out to something like planting two trees per adult in the UK per year for 30 years. And that is nothing. It really is. But, I mean, but already, I, I've got a, I've got a, an actual question, right? Um, <laughs> oh god, that wow. isn't, it isn't about fucking bears or some shit. When when they say like when they have a scheme like that where they're going to plant trees, what's actually involved? Like, are they taking like a like a sapling and and putting that somewhere, or are you just drop kicking an acorn into a hedge? Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy the you got like ten way. of them done in a minute. Uh, the main way that I do it is essentially have a bucket of bare root saplings and that's a bit like a big twig with a bit of root on the end and it looks dead when you put it in because uh, you generally do that in spring and you pretty much jam the shovel into the ground make a hole jam a tree in and stomp on the ground and move on i mean i don't really put too much effort in but i can probably do about one a minute one every two minutes without too much effort it sounds like a Herculean task, honestly. I don't and, know. How. Yeah, and and you were ex- they were expecting every adult in Britain to do that twice a year. Yeah, that, know, that man, just seems, too much. seems ridiculous to me. Like, but now, I think people get really focused on the number of trees because number go up is stuck in people's yeah. heads. But going by the <laughs> number of trees planted, it's like trying to assess the housing crisis by the number of bricks you laid, and you're just going to end up with the firm stacking bricks in a field. You know, this is going to sound really stupid, but I honestly am convinced of this. I think it's even dumber than that. I think it's that when you think about planting trees, they think of, like, trees, like, f- pretty fully grown trees, mm. that you, you call them. They think about planting one of those. They don't think about planting something that's, like, you know, 6 or 12 inches long, essentially. Like, they don't, they, their head just doesn't go there. I genuinely think it's that is at play. They're thinking about planting something that's like big and a bit of a fuck around rather than something you I just mean, go, you know. I don't clunk, know. Dump. I don't know if people were genuinely thinking, but like a lot of fucking like uh, commentators were definitely trying to imply that that was the only thing that that counted as planting a tree was like taking an existing tree that was presumably already planted somewhere and just moving it. Was that that was the only fucking thing that anyone like was allowed to call planting a tree in in terms of that scheme. I mean, we're 40 years into a concerted campaign to narrow the politically plausible. So it doesn't, you know, it stands to reason that (laughs) the idea of planting any number of trees is considered physically impossible by human standards uh, in 2019 at the time. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's also just like worse than that, because like what they they tend to do, and I know, Dan, we talked a a little bit about it before. It's just like what they tend to do is like if a developer comes in and like, just bulldozes uh, an old woodland and then says, no, don't worry about it because, like, I knocked down 100 trees, but I'll plant a 1,000 um, mm. of these saplings somewhere else. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But, like, that's really not what's what's going on. Yeah, it's like it's like carbon trading, isn't it, where it's, it's just horse shit. Well, <laughs> it's, it's especially... It's especially horseshit because, like, um, in, like, the, you know, highlands, um, you've got primordial forest, which is areas that have been forest since basically the dawn of time. And that shit's irreplaceable. Like, I don't care how much you claim you're going to plant trees or other plants to try and offset any kind of upset there. That 
is a continuity in an ecosystem that's been there literally forever, as long as humanity has existed. It's not one-for-one -one equivalence. And the same can be said of pretty much every other built-up ecospace, even if it's just like, you know, it's only been there 50 years. It's still 50 years of stuff growing and a little balance kind of arising in the place, unless it is like a terrible monoculture crop, like Dan was saying. When you're talking about these primordial ones, do they have dinosaurs? Yes. If you look hard enough. Cool. I mean, there, you, right, you joke, but there is a genuine like conspiracy theory in the Highlands that there's all sorts of strange beasties that live in the primordial forests that haven't quite been caught. It's true. Have you heard the story? Like, we talk about the Scottish, like, um, you know, the Scottish cat. The like, was meant to be a big cat, a big black cat. Um, <laughs> this is like la this is land messy. The great, the greatest myth of Scottish legend: a big cat. <laughs> no, no, seriously, it's like it's meant to be like a you know a big kind of puma sized kind of black cat, essentially. A puma. Um, well, so, <laughs> not literally. Like, they're not quite sure because one's never been caught. But genuinely, and like they're probably having me on. But I've met three separate people who didn't strike me as the kind to bullshit for no reason, who have all claimed to have seen one whilst they've been up in like the far north of Scotland, in pretty isolated areas, usually like either in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning sort of style. So, Have have we considered that the only way to deal with the psychic stress of being that far north in Scotland yeah. is hallucinogenics? I mean, quite possibly, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. But... But yeah, no, seriously, there are. There's all sorts of stories of things that live in the primordial forests. But the, so. I mean, what what there could be is, it's, I mean, it could be two other things as well. It could be a big cat that escaped from somebody illegally importing it and think it would be cool to have like a not a tiger but like a, a puma or a lynx oh. or something as a, as a pet, and that does happen. And they do escape and then go live in the woods. But it'd be very rare to like have there's one. There's a that... fucking. You've just reminded me of there's a there's a really old like British documentary. Um, from like the fucking seventies or eighties or some shit, where there's they're talking to a guy who imported a tiger because he wanted to like create a new sky a new style of kung fu based on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I'm gonna have to try and find that now. Like Jesus, buy tiger? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Profit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does sound like the most 70s coked up thing, 70s, 80s coke in the world, What, what a wonderful time to be alive. Yeah. Just get your bag of coke and get a tiger and just say, I'm starting a kung fu studio. And then yeah, it's gonna... like, it, 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 to go back to the Bitcoin stuff, it's like when libertarians are, oh, there's the, the government, like, this government's too big, there's too many laws, and it's like, yeah, and motherfuckers like you were the reason why there's so many laws, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, because when we, when we don't have the laws, you do stupid shit like that. It is. I mean, this is the thing. I'm going to buy like a penguin met... and fuck it, and it's like, right, okay, that's illegal now. I hope you're fucking yeah. happy. It, it's, it's like with health and safety. Every health and safety rule exists because, yeah. you know, someone got killed. All our other laws basically exist because someone fucked around and found out, yeah. essentially. <laughs> that That is the entire basis on which the law they proceeds around that and oppression. And what they found out was that people don't like it when you do that shit. So what what we found out is you can't learn martial arts from a fucking tiger. I mean, presumably, presumably that's what that guy found out. Like, do you know what I mean? But yeah, but to, to, I guess to we'll brief, never know. To briefly go back to the the, the tree planting thing, there was um, a study done last year by maybe not our favorite group of people, but somebody, some group who would know, uh, which the the CLA, the Country Land and Business Association, which is essentially the lobby arm for the big landowners in the UK. Mm. Um, and they looked at like, all right, if you 
want to pledge, if you want to, like Boris said, plant 30 million trees a year, like how would that work in practice? And the answer is, um, if you ran it all through uh, taxpayers, it would cost about 15 billion a year. So like, I would say about half a track and trace by now, but mm. spread out over three three decades, so not that bad. But a lot of the cash would essentially go to the big landowners, so the aristocracy that still owns the land and the forest and farmers, uh, essentially. And the biggest that's where, problem is... That's where the bulk of all the subsidies and assistance and grants goes already is to farmers that are either rich enough not to care or rich enough to pay someone to apply for all this stuff because very few small-scale farmers have the time or patience to do it. Yeah, to, to fill out all the forms and, and get all the schemes and grants in place, that kind of stuff. So you're telling me that when it comes to doing things on territory, the lords of the land, the landlords, if you will, charge exorbitant rents for allowing social progress to take place. <laughs> if only there was some solution to this problem. I, I believe Uncle Mao had something. Uh, I forget. <laughs> Once again, President Xi, you are more than welcome here and bring your school of thought with you. Um, How dare I, you I, call Xi a Maoist? Yeah, that's that's definitely an insult. But I mean, the thing that they do that the report does point out, which is fair enough, um, is that the problem with uh, uh, tree planting is not just like the cost of planting it and having the land available to, to plant things on. Is that Afterwards, you do need to maintain it, um, and mm, the way mm, it currently yes. the, the way it currently works is that like the the scheme is incredibly flawed because it doesn't pay enough for maintenance, and it stops paying. Like the cutoff is ten years, whereas like if you want to have a, a reasonably matured oak forest which has like real biodiversity and red squirrels and all that kind of good stuff, you need about thirty years. So like there's about twenty years of uncovered costs um, that like pretty much no landowner of any scale will will take on. Yeah, I, mean, I think any kind of proper solution would have to come as a kind of centralised authority that grows trees, goes around, plants trees, and does it all. But under capitalism, it will just end up as someone is paid to plant trees, someone plants useless trees in a field and gets paid. Yeah, and then and then after a few years, when the subsidy uh, runs out, they just stop caring because they don't have any incentive to to keep doing it, and they don't have well, the money to. If all of the trees have died, then you can get paid to plant them again. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> one weird trick. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, essentially, like if you wanna, this is. I mean, what we're talking about now in terms of tree planting and getting like mixed forests of like conifers and broadleaf mm. trees to grow, like you're not really talking about rewilding anymore like you're really talking about a managed woodland where you do some cutting and like where you take a bit more action or i don't know dan how you do it on your uh like your forest but i mainly just add bits in around the edges um i'm quite careful with what i plant and luckily i've got a really good nursery that's got specialists on hand that i say well i had a phone call with them when i first started using them and the day I explained what I've already got. They looked up where I am in the country and said, oh, you might want to go for this, this or this. Stay away from too many pines. Stay away from spruce because that's not what you generally have. Basically the sort of stuff that the Woodland Trust does, right? Uh, 
the Woodland Trust have a bunch of great people in, but they have next to no funding uh, for what mm. they need to do. And it's much the same with all of the efforts. You have the small charities like the Woodland Trusts in pretty much every county, and they're full of people who know what they're doing. They've got a bunch of volunteers that are willing to give their time, and they have next to no funding or importance in any of it. But yeah, what are, what are the other? I mean, what are the other things that that we would also have is like if you, if if you do the tree planting thing wrong, so you just like plant these these sad little monocultures that die is like much like everything else with monocultures, you get diseases, and um, you, you currently have a bunch of like elm diseases, and which one's the other one? The blight, Dan. I can't remember. There's a specific ash, I can't remember ash tree blight at the moment. There's a bunch ash of dieback. various illnesses going around. Uh, ash dieback. And a lot of that is ash dieback. That's one. A lot of that crops back to uh, genetic diversity. And once again, with the nursery that I use, say if I buy a hundred hawthorn trees, those hundred hawthorn trees will have come from five or six different parents with different genetics. Whereas some of the cheap schemes, they'll literally just clone the same tree, and you end up with a Habsburg field. <laughs> horrid genetics just who knew the trees could have such disgusting tongues <laughs> you're, you're talking about hang on you're talking about inbreeding and ash blight and are we playing an rpg after all did, did we finish character gen i'm sorry i'm disassociating now. <laughs> i'm just going back to resident evil now god damn <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's also one of the things you see as like a, uh, in, in the landscape, especially when you're talking about tree plantations and stuff. You see it all over Europe, and it must be true in, in the UK as well. It's like that in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, like a lot of commercial foresters were given advice that you were supposed to, like, for, for the commercial market, you were supposed to plant like spruce, American species like American spruce and some mm. other things. And now, because of climate change, a lot of those forests, which are now near maturity, um, they're all dying because of either disease or because climate change is happening too fast. That like the forest that exists, they because they're imported species, they can't handle the the changes. Whereas like native species do tend to be a bit better at like dealing with changing weather conditions and 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 a warmer climate and everything. So a lot of the mature forestry we have in the UK and in Europe does tend to be in trouble because they're imported forestry species rather than native biodiversity species essentially and this is one of the other things that having a centralized place dealing with it maybe working with universities etc to monitor the genetics to make sure that things are properly spread out but once again it's a case of the solutions are there but they will not be implemented yeah do you have any experience working with with uh, with defra or like a plan in local planning agency or something no, I try and avoid them as much as I can. Um, <laughs> Defra as someone who I definitely have to deal with if I started keeping animals, other than something like chickens, if I wanted to keep uh, pigs or cows, then I'd have to deal with Defra. But largely, they're not too interested if I'm not selling things to the public. That seems to be the main dividing line. I've got to say, from past experience, avoiding dealing with DEFRA in any form makes your life a lot more pleasant and long. I I knew someone who was a farmer, and all they would complain about from sun up to sundown was DEFRA and having to jump through hoops with them. So, I mean, at yeah. one point, I had an escaped cow 
and legally I should have informed Defra if it was staying on my property, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dox me. Oh God. Uh, well, you're gonna you're gonna have an egg on your face when we find out that Defra Michael Gove has a still running subscription to the Patreon. Yeah. I mean, it's fine, Dan. Like, we can cut this bit as long as uh, you uh, <coughs> sign up to the Patreon. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Have you still got a penny a month? <laughs> well, we'll take anything, you know. Uh, or you can do some tree planting for us. That, that I think, would also, uh, would also cover. Uh, you, you can carbon offset us. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that, that works. Actually, can I ask a really naive question? Sure. How much does a tree cost, like a sapling, just a standard sapling? Uh, it depends how many you're buying, and it does depend a bit on what you buy. The cheapest I buy is uh, hawthorn and blackthorn trees. Uh, if I'm buying more than 100 at once, then I pay, I think, 70 pence per sapling. But if I was buying, hmm. say, a 1,000 or more, then it'd drop to about 40 or 50p. Interesting, interesting. Um, are you taking donations for doing your planting? God, I wish I was now. Um, <laughs> no, not yet. It's well, been something yet. I've been meaning to do for a while, but with the recent apocalypse, things kind of got put on the back burner. I mm. mean, I'll be totally honest, if you're able to set up some kind of fund for that purpose, we would happily link you. Hi, this is Rob here from the Podcasting's Practices Editing Suite. Just to let you know that Dan does actually have a place where you can support him. You can go to co-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash the five acres if you want to help him plant some trees. We'll also put it in the show notes. Now, back to your regular scheduled programming. Bye. Uh, I don't know. Uh, is there, Dan, do, is there anything I've missed or anything you've wanted to mention or talk about in this? I think we've covered a bunch of the stuff I wanted to say. Mainly, I just want to impress on people that tree planting and an obsession with numbers is greenwashing your head. And what it's about is about in providing the ecosystems, providing the environments and just a bit of stewardship and letting nature do it. Um, I'll also just briefly say, if you accept that things are bad with climate change, then either do something or don't, but stop reading about it. Because I spent a year, two years in a doom spiral of depression where I did nothing other than read another study, another report on how shit things were getting. Don't do that. Yeah, I can I can completely second that. I spent quite a bit of time doing the same, uh, also partly because I did it for my job. And yeah, either do something or like you know keep keep an eye out, but don't don't doom read for one or two years because it, it it will completely drive you insane. Essentially, it's it's. I'm good. sorry, I'm sorry, but this podcast will never sanction the advice of Logo. <laughs> yes, you must. You must continue gazing into the abyss until it destroys you. Well, speaking of gazing into the abyss, see, this is a bridge they may actually work this time. Um, shall we play a <laughs> round of comment or commentary? Because we haven't done that in a while. Yes, oh, spectacular. <laughs> uh, right. uh, I was going to say, do you want to run quickly through the rules in case Dan doesn't know? Uh, yeah, I have indeed watched heard your podcast I, before. Well, you- <laughs> 
<laughs> not to besmirch your name, but maybe there's someone that's listening for the first time as well. Yeah, that's true. Well, we have, we haven't done this game. They can fucking pause this and go back and listen to an, an older episode for the rules, then can't they? <laughs> <laughs> do your own homework. Yeah, <laughs> this podcast is work, and you should do it, not us. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be nice, uh, Pod Dad, today, and say it's very very simple. Uh, I will read out a series of quotes and. The object of the game is to guess whether it's written by the commentariat, i.e. people with a name and a byline and presumably paid for that garbage, or it's a comment from weirdos below the line who comment on same pieces. Uh, only general rule was to try not to use Twitter or Facebook or social media. That's all. So these are all from the written word. So see, there you go. All caught up on the rules. Anyway, round one. Macron and his advisors do not understand that somebody who grows, grows up in a family with a respect for Sharia law over French law and culture will not be moved by what he or she is taught in school. For better or worse, the family remains the building block of society, however much social engineers on the left would like it otherwise. <sighs> commentariat. Yeah, commentariat. That's, that's things of commentariat. Comment. Jamie? Uh, comment. Uh, it's commentariat. It came from my personal favourite, uh, conservative woman. Uh, oh, fuck's sake. That's just a comment generator website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should really have to use, like, real publications for this fucking game. You know what I mean? It's fine. Oh. It's fine. He's got it out of the system now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, reading, out just... some, reading out some shit about how racism was invented by the Russians or something like that to try and like <laughs> sow discord. And, oh, that was a com- that was commentary. It was from your dad's Facebook page. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, round two. Unemployment is not new, and indeed Norman Tebbit's advice about getting on your bike stands the test of time. Most mental health issues are little more than self pity. You can get lots of counselling. You can oh. get off. Fuck off. You can yeah. get second. Oh my god. You can get it's commentary. Of- it's, it's one of the fucking golden boys, isn't it? It's going to be like uh, Heed or fucking Little John or some prick. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not actually done with it. Um, you can get lots of counselling, like Prince Harry, or or you can talk with your mates. Either way, ultimately, you have to pull oh. yourself together and get on with it. This is someone who has never faced any sort of adversity in their entire life. This has been written by a cis white, probably old white old man. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say commentaria, but this is a fucking. I'm I'm saying uh, comment I'm gonna, for this. I'm gonna go one further than you, Alistair, and say this is someone who should have faced some fucking adversity in their life. <laughs> um, Indeed, this is fucking this is Dan Hannon or some shit. It's commentaria. Right, I'm gonna well, go think with it's comment. The reason I think it's common is it's too nice to Prince Harry. It didn't stick a book, the book in properly. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah. This is it is actually a comment. Uh, this one came from the Daily Express, uh, the fucking Wonderland as well. I just, I, 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 so whenever someone says something like this, this is someone who is so the idea of having any sort of anything in their life go anything other than their their own way is completely alien to them like um do you see, uh, i assume the rest of you saw this stuff about nadia whittam having to take time yeah, off because yeah, yeah. she got ptsd oh, yeah and... i saw that and i saw the fucking uh that thing from that fash prick that like does all the drunk Gaggle driving fox yeah. yeah yeah that guy yeah so i fucking just 
you know, descended into a fucking blind rage when I saw that shit, because these people all think that, you know, they all fought in fucking World War Two, and if and that if you came out of any sort of war with a, like, actual psychological injury, essentially, then you're less than, but at the same time, yeah. you know, why don't you just behave like our boys did on D-Day? And that is just right. the absolute end of the analysis that these people are capable of doing of any kind of adversity. The idea that, say, being assaulted in one way or another could cause you long-term harm is just something they've never had to contend with. Don't Again, I would are... very much like for these cunts to take their own advice and die on a fucking beach. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, for a record, Alistair, like, so lately I've been having a good one like my things have been going right for me for the first time in quite a long time where it's all just been it's not just been going right but it's been going right like almost effortlessly like i'm trying stuff it's working i'm getting rewarded for it people are appreciating me like it's all just it's all just coming up millhouse yeah don't rub it in. right <laughs> yeah weird flex but okay no 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 here's the thing right this is deeply alien to me really genuinely like it's really been messing with me a bit and i'm not being comfortable with it and i've been finding myself in odd moments going is this what Tory pricks feel like all the time? <laughs> like, they just genuinely, things just fucking fall into place for them. But, and they don't have any struggles, any concerns, any qualms. It just, like, it it just happens to work out because they're the right sort of person in the right place. Is is that why they are the way they are? Not that their brains are smooth, exactly, so much as that just the rest of the world is rendered smooth for them as they glide across it. But James, it, like, the the thing is... Their brains have been calibrated in such a way that they're, like I say, they're so used to getting their own fucking way that anything that even goes slightly against that grain is perceived as like the greatest insult to humanity <laughs> and all that is good and right with the world. And that is why what you are experiencing isn't what they experience because you're grateful and understand that it's both a confluence of luck and ability that have allowed you to be, uh, like reach remember, where you are remember that tories don't tories don't feel <laughs> fucking excellent all the time they don't they love to be fucking miserable that's why they're constantly writing bullshit fucking columns that fucking prompt comments like this yeah but i think we will sooner rather than later get around to doing an episode on mental health because we've been talking about it for a while i think it's something yeah we should something worth doing anyway uh on to round three uh, speaking of, of bullshit commentary at come on nobody eats beef anymore nobody with a degree and a decent job anyway it has the same same stigma of deprivation and ignorance as smoking drink driving and diesel and where the upper middle what? classes diesel? lead <laughs> <laughs> and where the upper middle classes lead, in this case towards a more plant-based diet, the rest will eventually follow. That is completely unhinged and detached from reality. <laughs> you just need to look at the consumption indexes to see that the upper classes, the higher up the, up the class register you go, the higher up that pyramid, the more fucking meat and the more beef in particular gets eaten. Like, cold hard facts. What the fuck? <laughs> Commentariat. <laughs> This so detached from reality, it has to be commentariat. Yeah, I'm going to go commentariat with that as well. Now I'm going to say uh, comment, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to say comment, although I've wanted to say commentariat, but I feel like feel like that's asking for trouble. Jamie? Commentariat. 
Yeah, this is uh, the world's biggest uh, prick food correspondent. This is Giles Corrin at the Times. Oh, wow. of course it is. Is he still, is he still like, lusting after his own fucking daughter? <laughs> oh, God, that was the worst thing I ever fucking read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking wrong in that lad, like, do you know what I mean? Absolute fucking danger. <laughs> Sorry? Is he the dick in the car door one? I can't remember. Oh, never mind. Uh, anyway, <laughs> round four. Uh, even with their hands tied behind their back, private operators expanded the railway system and innovated well. Imagine oh, what a truly me. privatized, commercialized, and innovative railway system could have produced. Sadly, uh, well, that day is still to come. I just want to say, you don't need to. we know what that looks like. <laughs> We've seen it. It doesn't fucking work. There's a reason fucking Network Rail was privatised and is no longer privatised and is in fact run by the fucking state. And it's because it caused trains to end up fucking crashing into um, terminus stations. And that's why. Well, this is. This is obviously comment by Richard Branson. I was right? going to say, is this, um, is this fucking like Sir Topham Hatt? <laughs> like the Guardian or some shit. No, it was Pono de Pono that wrote this one. <laughs> fucking Pedro the Postman. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. No, he's running trains. That's not the same thing, James. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say commentariat. Yeah, commentariat. Commentariat. I'm saying comment. It's Yeah, it, it is commentariat. This is Matthew Lesh at The Telegraph, who just skimming through yeah. his previous catalogue is a world-class prick as well. Kill surprise. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But, but, all right, so last and final uh, round. Make no mistake, the BBC is entirely responsible for our Eurovision failure. They gave up <laughs> They gave up on the show years ago, embarrassed by its cheesy campness, pure pop madness, and flag-waving patriotism. As a result, the liberal elite who dominate the Beeb have decided to treat the competition as a joke. But Eurovision is not a joke. National pride and a lot of money is at stake. Nilpois comment. <laughs> um, comment and the Daily Mail. Like, that's just fucking, yeah, no. Yeah, that's comment. That's got to be. That sounds like comment, yeah. Comment. Yeah, David, you were half right. It was the Daily Mail, but it was also oh. Dan Wooten. Oh, fuck off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, do, I do love that the, like, the perpetually reinforced thesis of this entire segment is that it is indecipherable whether or not a fucking column is a co could also be a comment. I just... It is irrefutable <laughs> every time we do this fucking thing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Anyone could de do these fuckers' jobs. Like, genuinely, anyone could do it. Jamie would be a better columnist than any of the people we feature. I mean, your your segment. your AI nonce dungeon could write these columns 20 times a day. <laughs> First of all, how dare you? I, ha I have I have severed, I have distanced myself from the nonce dungeon. Any reports of my relation to the AI dungeon are over exaggerated. Second of all, let, let's let's not do AI Starmer like that. He wouldn't have sunk to these depths, right? No, probably not. Actually. That's that's true. 
And, 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 and on that note of uh, sad farewells, I think uh, that will just about do us for yet another episode of Podcasting is Praxis. You can find us on Twitter at PraxisCast. And you can, if you like content like this and many other great things, uh, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast. We are currently talking about starting our first exclusive episode. So hopefully we'll get the first Patreon exclusive episode off the ground. That, that. Yeah, that, no, no, that will be definitely 100% in June. We will have the premium episodes one a month, starting, possibly more going on, from June. And if David doesn't know that, then nobody knows that. So, you know, you heard it here first. So sign up on Patreon if you like. Um, Dan, is there anything uh, you want to... I can't s- wait. I can't wait until like six minutes to midnight on the final day of June when we're arguing about whether or not we need to just publish the draft we've got in or whether we need to take more libel out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, unfortunately, we have already discussed among ourselves. And even if you do sign up to our Patreon, you do not get the uh, the libel in cuts. Those, unfortunately, will never be released to the general public. For good fucking reason. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, if we, wouldn't, if we weren't getting sued for libel, we'd be getting visited by Prevent. That's all we have to say on the subject. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, no, for real, uh, Rob, ask Dan the question. Yeah, um, Dan, is there anything you want to plug or support or ask for from our lovely audience? No, not other than make sure you plant things and remember that tree planting alone isn't going to save us. We need to overthrow capitalism. Well, that's as good a message as any is. That's something we as a podcast can are wholly behind. So bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.